Mark 15, verses 33 to 39. We are closing this great gospel that points us to Jesus as our king. And today we come to the climactic event of the cross. And as we consider this most familiar scene, I want us to be reminded of the story that saves us, the story that shapes us, and consider, friends, the message of the cross. With all that in mind, let us read Mark 15, verses 33 to 39. This is the word of the Lord. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. A young man named Tad was sitting in a park in Washington, D.C. And across the park, he saw a young soldier who had been fighting in the Civil War. Beaten, depressed, obviously in pain in more ways than one, Tad approached this young soldier and asked him his story. The young man explained that he had lost both his father and his only brother in the war. All that was left was him and his mom. His commanding officer had generously offered to this young soldier the chance to go home and be with his mom. But first, he had to have permission from the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. This young soldier went on his mission to Washington, D.C. so that he could go home and support his mother. But President Abraham Lincoln was too busy to meet with this young soldier, and the access to the president was denied. The young man, feeling for this young soldier, grabbed the soldier's hand And said, come with me. I'll finish that story in a few minutes. But friends, we are like this young soldier in more ways than one. Our lives have been broken, brought down by the reality of our sin. Crushed in more ways than one. And if In our depression, in our pain, in our sorrows, in our sin, we try to come to the king, access will be denied. 
We cannot get to a holy God because of our unholy rebellion against him. But the message of the cross is that that story is not over. Friends, this is the truth that Mark is proclaiming in this passage. We can be accepted by God into his presence because our God was rejected by our God. I want you to see this mystery through four events that communicate the gospel. The first event in this passage that starts to share with us this hope that we can be accepted by God is the curse of darkness in verse 33. Read verse 33 again with me. Mark writes, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It has taken us weeks to walk through the final night and morning of Jesus' life. But it's only been hours in the experience of Jesus Christ. And in those hours, there's been a whirlwind of furious activity back and forth. There's been the betrayal in the garden by Judas. The disciples flee in fear. The Jewish leaders put Jesus on an initial trial and find him guilty of blasphemy. Meanwhile, Peter's by the fire denying he even knows Jesus. Then Jesus is taken to Pilate for an official trial by Rome where he is charged with claiming to be king. Given the opportunity to release one person, the people choose the robber and insurrectionist Barabbas instead of the innocent Jesus. As soon as this happens, all of the violence and the mockery that we know about the cross takes place. But then in verse 33, the tornado of events dissipates into the sky, and all of the action ceases. And now it is God's turn. At 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock p.m., everything is covered in supernatural darkness. I didn't want to miss the chance to share with you this quote, especially as it will help us connect what's happening here to the holiday we're about to celebrate in Christmas. Kent Hughes writes, 33 years earlier, there had been brightness and music at midnight when Jesus was born. And now there is only darkness and stillness at midday as Jesus dies. It is said that God moves in mysterious ways. And in many times this is true. But this isn't one of them. The message is clear as day. What God means by the darkness at day. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses lists the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And in verse 29, he says, You shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. 
the curse of your disobedience, Israel, will be darkness at midday. Joel chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Joel declares, For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Amos prophesied in chapter 5, verse 18, Woe, curse to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and it is not light. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 to 13, Isaiah says, Look, behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. That's the day of the Lord. And now, brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord has come. When the darkness drops, God is saying, Judgment and punishment and wrath and cruelty is here. I have come to judge the evil of the world. Why would God need to do that? In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. This is the confronting news of the gospel, the judgment of darkness. But there's a twist. It's who endures and receives the curse of darkness to begin with. That's why the second event that shares the gospel with us, brothers and sisters, is the cry of rejection. Look at verse 34 and hear our Savior cry out. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Famously, there are seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross. But in the gospel according to Mark, this is the only one. Jesus is quoting Psalm chapter 22. There have been hints of Psalm 22 all along the way. But this quote from Jesus shares that he, he recognizes this psalm represents him and his experience and his experience alone above all others of the rejection that he is receiving. And when he quotes Psalm 22, verse 1, it's the only time that Jesus doesn't call God Father. He never calls God God. What is that saying? Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been denied by Peter. He's been left behind by everyone else. But here and now, Jesus, God the Son, 
is separated from God the Father. Can you even imagine what that represents? Tim Keller offers a helpful way to consider this. He writes, If a church member says to me, I never want to see or talk to you again, I will feel pretty bad about that. But if today my wife says to me, I never want to see or talk to you again, that's a lot worse. The longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. This love between God the Father and God the Son was infinitely long, absolutely perfect, and Jesus was losing it. Jesus himself said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. And now, the two who are one, in a sense, are becoming two and becoming undone. And the irony of the gospel, which we refer to over and over again, is this happens in the moment of the Son's greatest obedience which should receive blessing. The moment he goes the furthest links to show his love for the Father is the exact moment he experiences separation and the curse of disobedience. He feels the void that our sin creates for the first time. Think of it. The one who is the I am, the one who never changes experienced a new reality between the Trinity and experienced the wrath of sin for the first time. Though he was righteous, Jesus felt what Adam felt when he was kicked out of the garden. How can God reject God? The answer is under this cry is the glorious truth of the atonement. And just in the book of Mark, we can see it. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In chapter 14, verse 24, as he's doing the, the Lord's Supper with his disciples the night before the cross, Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Friends, the good news is the blood of Jesus pays our ransom. The blood of Jesus pays the penalty for our separation between us and the Lord. Jesus took our rejection and stepped into the void that our sin created. All of the judgment, all of the punishment that Joel and Isaiah and Amos and all the prophets predicted was served out and handed on Jesus for us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake God made Jesus 
God the Father made God the Son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, God the Son, we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, help us if that's not amazing this morning. The third event that shares the good news of the gospel is the change in access. Happens in verse 38. Read verse 38 with me. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There's this whole event in between in verses 35 to 37 with Elijah and this cup of wine. In that day, there was this understanding that Elijah was expected to come back to return. The Jewish interpretation of Elijah's life is that he never physically died and went to heaven. And so there was this hope that in the messianic day, Elijah would return. And one of his duties would be to offer assistance to the righteous ones who are suffering. And so part of what's going on is, is a, either a, another mockery of Jesus or a serious opportunity to help Jesus looking for Elijah to come rescue this righteous one who is suffering. But Mark moves quickly past that to go to the events that really matter because the truth is no rescue is coming. No one is coming to help the righteous one. And the reason for that is because the hope has been fulfilled. Matthew 17, verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you that Elijah has already come. He's talking about John the Baptist. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. He's saying, yeah, Elijah is coming. That's not even what I'm saying on the cross. You misheard me. Yes, Elijah is coming. But y'all killed him too. And the Son of Man is going to suffer. And that suffering finally comes to an end in verse 37. Verse 37, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. It's not insignificant that it was loud. At the cross, you were supposed to diminish your way to death. And now Jesus, at full strength, just lets it out. It's not supposed to happen. The suffering comes to end. And as one person writes, the one who made everything is utterly unmade. And once again, God the Father speaks. The darkness lifts. And instead of a message of mourning, a message of victory comes out. And God declares that it is over and that he has won when the temple curtain tears in two. And how does it tear? It's not insignificant. It doesn't tear from the ground up. It tears from the sky down. God is ripping 
this temple curtain himself and saying, this thing is over. Access has changed. Now, if you study the temple, there are two curtains. And if you read Mark, he doesn't say which curtain he's talking about. And there's a lot of detail here that's actually really interesting. But the message stays the same no matter which curtain it is. If it's the first curtain on the outside of the temple, that's the curtain that the Gentiles could not get past. And they were not allowed to enter any further. The access stopped at the first curtain. It would be the only curtain that the centurion by the cross could see. But maybe it's the second curtain on the inside that stops access to the Holy of Holies, where only the holiest man of the holiest nation could enter on the holiest day. Either way, the message of the curtain ripping in half is that there has been a change in policy. The Gentiles can get through the first curtain, and everybody can get through the second curtain. Access is granted not through some traditional holiday of atonement, but through the true high priest, the one who has been slain. The old patch has been torn away. The old wine has been discarded and poured out. God is not accepting access to him through some temple made with hands. He is not accepting access to himself through some other animal sacrifice. Access comes through the one who made atonement for you and me. Hebrews 9 verse 12, the author of Hebrews picks up on this theme and writes, He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In verse 15, he writes, Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That's a lot. What you need to know more than any detail here is the answer to this question. Do you understand what the curtain and the torn curtain means for you? Friend, listen to the gospel. You don't have to earn your way to God. Your obedience doesn't get you a foot in the door to heaven. Your Rituals of religion don't help you gain access to any room into the kingdom. Jesus has given you access through his sacrifice on the cross. Because God was rejected by God, you can be accepted by him. Ephesians 2 verse 18, for through him, God the Son, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to God the Father. Friends, there's one more event that seals the deal and shares this good news of the gospel to everyone in the room. In verse 39, there is the cry of faith. Look at verse 39. And when the centurion 
who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. This is a mind-blowing event. Think about who this is. The centurion, his entire job was to watch people die. Crosses were not uncommon in Rome. At the whim of the emperor, hundreds to thousands of people could die on a cross like that. This guy has been here before. How many crosses has he stood beneath? How many wrists and ankles has he seen pierced? How many spirits has he seen go through people's bodies? Nothing surprised him anymore. He's like the, the hardened 40-year sheriff veteran who's been in every crime scene in his county and seen it all. Nothing surprised this hardened man. But today, his jaw drops. And it wasn't the darkness that covered the entire earth at noon. It wasn't the torn curtain of the temple that just suddenly ripped in half. In verse 39, Mark tells us what blew him away. It was the way Jesus died. The manner in which he breathed his last, his whole demeanor, Everything about him and the way that he gave his life up instantly softened this rock-hard centurion. And instead of death, this man is experiencing spiritual resurrection and life as he watches the Savior die in front of him. Friends, what Mark is saying is you can only know Jesus if you see him on the cross. That's what changes us. It's not the Jesus who feeds the 5,000. It's not the Jesus who walks on the water. What brings you from death to life is when you see Jesus Christ on the cross with your sin on his shoulders. And you see the Jesus who walks past that cross out of an empty tomb for your resurrection. Friend, you need to know that Jesus Christ. And the good news is it's open for anybody. If a Roman guard gets to be the first one to understand who Jesus is as the Son of God, it means it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what crimes you've committed, it doesn't matter what sins are in your life, what bad habits mark who you are, it doesn't matter what your family tree looks like if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and His work for you on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, you can be in God's family. Have you done that? Have you gained access into the family of God by letting go of everything that makes you you and depending on everything that makes Jesus Jesus? Friend, I don't, I'm not asking if you're a church member. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm asking if you have repented and believed the gospel. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, Paul writes, for all who rely on works of the law, anybody who depends on their good works, they are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is made right, justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Friend, this is the good news. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to try harder when you leave today. You have to believe that Jesus did it and it's finished. You believe that, and the good news is God makes you good. And he makes you enough. And he will provide everything you need to live for him. Friend, believe that truth this morning. Church, that is your story. If that's not resonating in your soul, gosh, I need to help you. If that's not enough for you this morning to be lifted up and encouraged in who you are, friends, that might not be your story. This is it. This is what makes you a a person of God, a child of God. And if you're hanging on to anything else in your background, in your life, in your ministry, in your service, in your family, whatever it is, that is a curse. This is the life. This is who we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, Paul tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God ain't going to let you have the bragging rights. He gets the bragging rights because he saved your life, not you. Colossians 1 verse 13, he, not us, have delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he, not us, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, take that message and let it change the way you live. Let it impact the way you leave this morning. Let it impact the way you go to work. Let it mean something to your life. This isn't just the story that saves you and gets you a ticket to heaven. This is the story that shapes the way you live on earth. So that on earth it is as in heaven. This isn't your Sunday morning story. This is your everything. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 25. Therefore, what does that mean? Since we have confidence to enter to have access to the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friend, if Jesus saved your life and changed you, you're going to meet together with the church and you're going to praise God with the church and you're going to celebrate the gospel with the church because it has brought you into the church. And if you don't want that, if you don't like that, if you don't want to be a part of that family, friend, that's saying something about what God's done in your life. Let the cross shape you. Let it change you. Let it give you something to stand on in this day of darkness. 
friends, whatever you're praying for, this message of the gospel guarantees that God will give you exactly what you need. Friend, you may wish that I was preaching on something else. Maybe there's a specific area in your life that you are hoping to hear from the Lord about. Let me share this with you. I just preached on it. The cross is the answer to every one of our cries, to every one of our questions, to every one of our doubts, to every one of our prayers. This is for you. Remember the message of the gospel. Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 32, that God, who did not spare his own son, but, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, Christ, graciously give us all things? If Jesus provides you access to the Father, and the Father gives you the greatest need in your life, won't he take care of the little ones? The young man, Tad, grabbed this soldier's hand and marched him to the White House and right into the president's room. And he looked at that young soldier and said, this is my dad. And the young man met with the president of the United States because he was given access by the son. People argue about whether that story's true or not. And I don't really know. But what it does tell us is the true story. That friend, we have access to God because Jesus was rejected and denied for you and me. And if you want to come to the king Take the son by the hand. Let us pray.